Good morning, everyone. Let's uh, take a moment and go to the Lord and pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the great hope, our Savior, who is coming. And may we really dwell in that blessed hope that the day is coming when we will see him with our own eyes, those of us who believe. And, uh, Father, as we look at the world around us, that day cannot be soon enough sometimes. But we thank you, Father, for the day you've given us, and we pray that we would walk with you today. I pray for um, your help in looking into the word, that we look past the uh, one who is speaking and uh, any distractions, but we look to the one who is the, uh, the Son of God, the one who saves us, the one who offers us our greatest hope, the one who is the author of life and the author of eternal life. And we entrust all these things into his name. Amen. So, um, this week, Thursday afternoon, I had taken my laptop apart. I was going to put a new uh, hard drive in. And uh, with the help of my, my son-in-law, who after his great help, I now will call him my son. But uh, I had my laptop apart. I just pulled the hard drive out. Everything precious to me was now disconnected from me. And except for my phone was still working and I had, I get a text from Luke the Jagger saying, sorry to tell you this, I want to give you a heads up, but Lois and I are both quite sick with cold, so I won't be able to come and speak on Sunday. So I really rely on my laptop to put this stuff together and everything else. And I thought, okay, these things happen for a purpose. And amazingly, within 45 minutes, new hard drive in, up and running. And so therefore Nick is now considered my, my son. He's third in the kingdom. So, <laughs> um, so something I, I've wanted to, to, to kind of do as a series for some time now, um, and I don't know how it's going to start because I'm a little scattered on it this morning, but I, I'm trying to lay the foundation. So while I won't get full up to my neck in the topic this morning, I'm laying a foundation for you to, to, uh, to, to get, get you to where we're, we're planning to go, Lord willing. Um, so, the master theme of the Bible, question mark. Now, if some of you have heard me talk about what I'm going to speak on, don't answer, but I need answers from you. Somebody tell me what they think the master theme of the Bible is. Anybody, just shout it out. Jesus Christ. Salvation. What's that? Jesus and salvation, they're on the same, yeah. And they're right. Those are, those are correct. Anybody else? Redemption, yes. You even get... Love, yes. Eternity, okay, yes. Now, I was asked that question when the first person I heard speak on this threw it out there, and I said, the glory of God. So, however, um, there's a book, an out-of-print book. There we go. By J. Sidlow Baxter. 
Now, I always wonder about these. If I ever was to become a great writer, look for my books, they'll be D. Philip MacDonald. Because I always have like an initial, and then a name, and then the last name. <laughs> right? J. Vernon McGee. Right? Then there's, what's his name? Uh, the English guy. What? Then there's a guy like F.F. F. Bruce who just uses two initials. But, but they all have like this initial name and then last name. So J. Sidlow Baxter, and actually he's quite a good writer. And this book is out of print. I was going to bring in the book and show it to you, but I got it from this place called the Libris. This is where you can get a lot of out of print books. And I started using it again yesterday, and I noticed pages are going to start coming out any second now, and I thought if I take it out in the cold, the glue will get even more stiff, and I don't want to bring it in here and have that happen. Um, in Cape Breton, growing up, we had a little expression. It sounded like one word, but it was actually more than one word. It was called, not let lend it. So if you had something that your parents gave you, and you weren't allowed to let somebody borrow it, you said, and they came by and said, can I take that truck? And you'd say, not allowed to lend it. Not allowed to lend it. So, but we said it, we blurted it out as one word, and everybody knew what that meant. Can I have that, buddy? Not allowed to lend it. Okay. And when you said that, you back off and you walk away. And you, so this book, Master Theme of the Bible by J. Sidlow Baxter, I have it, but I'm not allowed to lend it. So, so, so don't come looking for it, Okay. He says that the, if you notice here at the bottom, there is a, right here, a comprehensive study of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And he says, his thesis is that the Lamb of God is the master theme of the Bible. And the bloodline of the master, uh, of the Lamb of God as it goes throughout the whole Bible. I thought when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's interesting, but you know, Really? And so I've had two years to kind of like think about this, not this message, but two years to think about this whole idea. And I think he's got a point. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus Christ, salvation, redemption, and all of those things are not the master theme of the Bible. They are. But this is a master theme of the Bible that I never really thought of until I had come across this. And this is at family camp a couple of years ago. The speaker spoke on that. Baxter has 10 points to cover. Uh, and I hope to cover much of this in probably about five messages or four messages. So the theme runs through the scriptures. Um, sorry about the. It runs through the scriptures as kind of a, uh, like a, just, just a, a red cord that runs through the whole of scripture. Uh, this whole idea of the Lamb of God and our redemption through Him. Uh, it starts in early Genesis and it runs right through to the book of Revelation. Now, I want to look at some of this today, and I have uh, something that you can probably not see now that I realize. It looked great on the screen in front of me, but uh, I wonder if I could turn those down. I find that background is, is that better? Okay. So, the, the whole idea of the, the, the lamb being the master theme of the, the Bible, first you, you go back and, and you look at um, history. There's one pivotal point in all of history. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Actually, the coming of Jesus Christ to earth, a three-year earthly ministry, his death on the cross and the resurrection. Everything in history 
is centered around that. In fact, the calendar on your wall and the fact that it is 2020 reflects the fact that God came as a man in Jesus Christ, lived on this earth, died on a cross. Now, if it ended there, why bother resetting all the calendars to base it on that? But he rose again, and he lives today. So he fulfills all of that. So our, even our calendar is based on that. It's centered on when God entered this world to take away the sins of the world. You see, the cross is so pivotal because we all need forgiveness. It's our greatest need. There is nothing you need greater than to have your sins forgiven. Why? Because we all have sinned. We all have sins in our lives. Even one sin is enough to keep you from God. Even one sin will keep you from heaven. And one sin will put you in hell. So it's very important that, that we understand that this, the cross of Jesus Christ is pivotal, pivotal to all of history. And this is what the cross is all about. It gave God the opportunity to forgive us. And actually, forgiveness is the first thing that Jesus uttered when he was put on that cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. On his mind, the very first moments on that cross was the forgiveness of people. The theme of atonement is on every page of your Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's predicted by prophets. It's anticipated by those who look forward to, to the time when he would come. It's acknowledged when it happened. And by the, by the apostles, we heard this morning about they need to pick another apostle, but it has to be somebody who writ, witnessed the resurrection. So it was acknowledged by them, and it's celebrated by us. We came this morning to have a time where we celebrate it and remember the fact that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. Redemption is so monumental and so huge that it actually was on the mind of God before the earth was even created. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus was pictured as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. In fact, there was a time when it's recorded in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus was walking along a road and he met up with two disciples who were walking along and, they, and they, they were really bummed out. They thought, oh, life is just, it's over. This guy, we, we invested three years, we left everything and we followed this guy and now we just saw him three days ago. He was put on a cross and, and he's gone. We wasted our time. What are we going to do? Life is over. And he comes along and he walks with them and he says, hey dudes, what's going on? And they said, where have you been? Haven't you heard? About what? Jesus. I mean, he came. He was going to, like, that was it. That was the solution. And they killed him. They put him on a cross. Oh. Let's stop for a minute and chat. And he starts with the Bible. And he goes back to Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It says he went... It says in Luke chapter 24, verses 20, in verse 27, it says, Then beginning with Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, all the prophets, he explained to them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. All the scriptures are about him. Everything. It's about him and God's redemptive plan. 
All the Old Testament books look forward to the cross. All the post-New Testament history looks back to the cross. It's a pivotal, pivotal point in the history of the world. Prophets, they anticipated it. God's people celebrated it. But sadly, we have churches who no longer want to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. They think, oh, yay, blood, like we, we're not with a bloody cross and so on. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about stuff that's going to make us feel good. Like we don't want to go there. Spurgeon wrote, gave this quote, and I think it's a great quote. He says, there are some preachers who cannot or do not preach about the blood of Jesus Christ. I have one thing to say to you concerning them. Never go to hear them. Never listen to them. A ministry that has, no, has not the blood in it is lifeless, a dead ministry, and is no good to anybody. He's 100% right. That's why I thought this morning it came to my mind, royal blood, we've got to sing about that. His blood will never lose its power. His blood will never lose. I don't know about you, but I want to be with something that's winning. Look around today, how much is winning? Stock market? Mm-mm. Sports teams? No, they're all getting sick. You know, everything around us is losing. Money is just going through the floor. People's health, it's going away. 100,000 cases of COVID-19 a day in the U.S. Wow, that's, you know, that's awful. People are losing their power to fight against any of this stuff. But Jesus' blood will never lose its power. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If you want to turn in your Bibles, that's where we're going to go. It's a picture of how God will rescue us from the curse. We all know the background in Genesis chapter 1 to, verse, to, to chapter 3. It's about the creation account. And someday I'm planning, Lord willing, to go back and, and do a study in the book of Genesis. I'd li- I really like to do that. I think it's foundational to, to everything. Everything in life. So... When we get to chapter 3, chapter 1, chapter 2, God created heavens, the earth, stars, beasts, plants, right up to the point where he, he creates mankind. Chapter 3, yuck, yuck, the serpent comes and deceives men and women, deceived Eve, and then they both sin. And now, because of this, Life is forever changed. They're going to die. They die spiritually that moment. They're going to die physically later on. And so God comes along, and I read one author who says, yes, and and God was looking for them and chasing and trying to find them, chasing them through the garden, and then God wasn't chasing anybody. (laughs) God says, there they are. You can run, but it's not going to take very long because I'm here. (laughs) I know where you are. So, Which is true of any of us. We don't run from God. And so he catches up with them, and they said, uh, we're kind of embarrassed because we're standing here naked. How do you know you're naked? Uh, well, you know, and then gets to the bottom of it that they had sinned. So he makes clothing for them out of animal skins. So there's the first blood sacrifice that was ever offered. But how is he going to fix this problem? How's God going to address what happened here? Turn with me to Genesis 3, and we'll go to verse 8. And those verses are up there, if you can read them. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man 
and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, um, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is like the beginning of passing the buck. This is the first mentions in the Bible are always important. This is the first mention of passing the buck. Uh, then the Lord said to the woman, or no, sorry, uh, then verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between um, you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So, here we see God immediately giving the solution to the problem that has come upon them. He immediately answers what is going to happen next. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you serpent and the woman and between your seed serpent and her seed Eve and he shall bruise you serpent on the head and you shall bruise him whoever that is on the heel so when I read the word enmity the first thing you think of is there's going to be a conflict there's going to be this enmity now, if you're at enmity with somebody, you're in conflict, you're, you're in a feud, you, it's hostility, it's, it's, it's not good. You're, you're, you're going at each other. You see, Satan is the one who is the serpent. He's kind of a nondescript serpent in, in Genesis when you read about it. He's kind of a, a, a supposedly a beautiful creature. Eh, not anymore, because I saw one in my yard that I haven't told my wife about. And, <laughs> and I loathe snakes. Uh, I mean, nobody here, well, yes, there are people here who like snakes, and you're sick. You're absolutely, you're sick. If you like snakes, you're sick. I hate them. I hate the way they move. I hate the way they look. I hate the way they have a tongue that sticks out like this. and I hate all that stuff. Yuck. Sam, you agree? Yeah, see, there we go. You may. Do you like snakes? No, not really. There we go. I, I extracted the truth from him. So, not many people like snakes. So, verse 14 pretty much tells you that. Cursed are you more than all the cattle. A cow? Yes, no problem. Love cows. Take pictures of cows. Snakes? No, don't like them. So, here's this serpent. Who is the serpent? Satan is the serpent. Because when you go to Revelation chapter, um, chapter 12, verse 9, it reads this. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That's the nice thing about the Bible. You have a question? Huh, where would I go looking for the... The Bible just gave me a question in my mind. Where can I find the answer to that? The answer? The Bible. 
The Bible usually answers its own questions. So in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we read about the great dragon that was thrown down, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So that's who this, this is. Now, the beginnings of Satan and, and, and all of this, David Hansen said last week, I, I hope you're reading your Bible. We, we, we come and we, we give you a message here and hopefully it prompts you to further investigate these things and, and go into your Bible. So it should be him because he's the prof, but I'm going to give you a reading assignment for next week, for, for, for this week ahead on your own. Read Isaiah chapter 14 and read Ezekiel chapter 28. If you read in both of those things, you will find out who Satan was originally. And what he was like, and 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 what was his, what was his, motive, modus operandi. In Isaiah chapter fourteen, verse twelve, it, it talks, or it, through that, it's it, Satan is is a, a as it says in Ezekiel, he's the anointed cherub that covers. He was very important to God. He was a created being. He was a an angel. In the kingdom of God, in heaven. And he had a very important position. But then we read in Isaiah, he says, you know what? I'm Satan. I'm really important. And there's God, and I'm not him. I want to be him. And he says five things. I will do this. I will exalt myself. I will, I will, I will. I will be like the Most High. At that moment, he was done. You do not exalt yourself and say, I will be God. That does not happen. So Satan starts a rebellion in heaven. And he is cast out of heaven. And he takes a third of the angels with him. So again, your reading assignment. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. And you will see the background of all of that. So since then, there's this ongoing conflict that began with Satan's rebellion. And it spread to other angelic beings. And then he came to the earth and now it influences the whole world. It influences all of mankind. It influences everything in this world. A guy came up to us down on the streets the other night and says, okay, so I, I don't know, I'm starting to not believe in God anymore because like all this pain and suffering and sickness in the world. Yeah, but you're, only, you're only getting part of the story, man. You're, you're focusing on the pain and suffering and sickness. Do you know why there's pain and suffering and sickness? Because there's a wicked one who has influenced this whole world and sold the whole world out to sin and as you follow him more and more and more, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But the answer is found in the one that you're saying, I don't want to believe in him anymore. So this ongoing conflict has gone on. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes this. He says, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces in evil, of, of evil in heavenly realms. So... There is this conflict that we struggle against as believers all the time. We struggle against, against these powers and these forces. And it's spread throughout the whole world. Genesis chapter 3 was the darkest day in all human history. I mean, debatable. That one or the day that Jesus was put on the cross. When you take God the Son and you condemn him to death and you nail him to a cross, that's a pretty dark day in human history. However, this is the day that brought us to that. This is the first really dark day in human history. The earth became Satan's domain. The conflict spread throughout the world. And then, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, speaking of that day in Genesis chapter 3, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. 
So through death came sin. By one act of disobedience, the virus, sin, entered into the world. And it spread worse than coronavirus. It went to every single human being. And the conflict has started there and continues to this day. Which is the second point. There will be continuing conflict. It wasn't just on that one day that there was conflict. It's gone on. The word seed here, it says your seed and her seed. Your seeds, the, the serpent's seed, Satan's seed, and her seed, Eve's, the woman's seed. It means offspring. There will be ongoing conflict between humanity, whom God loves, who God redeems, and Satan, who he wants to influence and drag down and pursue like a roaring lion. You know, we see that in the world. Satan has great influence. Satan and his, and his followers, his demons, influence the world. And I'm not talking about the, the, the blue marble planet that we live on. I'm talking about the world system. There's a whole system that's lined up against God. And because it's lined up against God, it's lined up against you if you're a believer. Satan seeks to destroy you. He seeks to wreck your life. He seeks, seeks to, to enter in and, and just destroy the believer. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You don't have to go very far to figure that out. And if you don't understand that the ongoing conflict in the Bible, the Bible doesn't make sense. But if you understand that this conflict that goes on, and it goes on throughout the Bible and it goes on today, things start to make sense. We live kind of like in this, uh, I think I put it up there, parallel universe sort of thing, where you have like the physical reality of what we have. It's cold, it's warm, it's, you know, it's sunny, it's this, it's that, I can touch this. But there's a whole universe that's around us of spiritual reality that we don't see. Almost like there's Wi-Fi waves going through here. And there's radio waves that if you have a radio receiver, you can pick up. But there's a whole realm out there that we don't see. But it's very, very real. It's where the spiritual world is. There's a lot of action there. There's battles. There's conflict. There's angelic and demonic forces. You know, 34 books of the Bible mention angels. They're mentioned 103 times in the Old Testament, 165 times in the New Testament. The word angel means messenger. Angels are non-corporeal beings. I think I pronounced that correct, and I put that word in because I knew Dave Hansen to be here, and he would like a word. It means, that they, it means that they don't have a body. They don't exist in a body like we do. They're invisible. They're not subject to decay. They're not subject to the limitations that you and I are. And since the fall, this, they, they have taken control of, of, of much of the world. Um, Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air, of the air, not of the earth, not of the, of the ground, of the air. So, so this spiritual battle is going on in kind of a, a, a parallel universe that's unseen to us. And, you know, one of the things that you need to know is you need to know your enemy. You need to know the battle that you're in. If you just think, well, you know what, <laughs> I don't believe in the devil. You're in trouble. He's won already. 
First of all, if you deny that he exists, he's already won. The second thing is if you go into a battle and you think, hey, we'll just wing it. I don't know how many they got or what they're up against or how they work or anything else, but let's just, let's just go over and take that country over. Well, what kind of army do they have? I don't know. Like, just, I don't, I don't, you know, I, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who read on Facebook that they don't have an army. Oh, okay. Well, let's go. That's a foolish, foolish way to go into the world, into the battle. So you're in a battle between good and evil. You're in a battle with a real enemy. And if you don't believe that there's an enemy, first of all, you're in trouble. But if you don't get to know that this is going on, you're in trouble. And I'm lost. Oh, yeah, here we go. So it says in this verse, it says that he is going to bruise. He's going to bruise your heel. And he is going to come and bruise your head. So Satan's reaction to this promise has been to go around and have countless attacks on this world. Actually, to wage war against God through this world. Another Not a Little End of Book I have is one called The Invisible War by Donald Gray Barnhouse. Very, very good book. If you ever want to understand what goes on in the battle between, in the spiritual realm, between the forces of good and the forces of evil, this is a foundational book. It's a very, very good book. Uh, I, I'll warn you right up front, Donald Gray Barnhouse, because of when he lived and so on, he kind of bought into the, the gap theory, and he starts off with this whole thing about stuff at the first of it. So skip the first chapter. After that, it's really, really good. Um, so, first of all, how did Satan try to bring about countermeasures in this battle, in this war? Well, the first thing he does is he works up Cain's heart to kill Abel. First murder on the face of the earth. But God raised up Seth. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 and 25. And then Satan corrupted all of humanity to the point that God destroyed all of the earth with a flood. It says the, every thought of the imagination of man was only evil continually. But, Satan thinking, I can wipe out everybody here. God saves eight people through, a flood, through the flood in the ark. And then he tries to have Esau kill Jacob in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. But Jacob is preserved. And then Pharaoh acted as Satan's agent. He ordered all the male Hebrew infants to be thrown in the river and killed. Moses is spared. Then King Saul. I'm going really fast through the scriptures, but I'm just making a point here that throughout the whole scriptures, you see where Satan tried to go against the plan of God, tried to wage war, but God had the upper hand in all of this. King Saul, for almost a decade, he chased and tried to kill David. You can read that in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. But God preserved David. Haman, wicked Haman, tried to kill off all the Jews. It was going to happen on a single day. But what happened? He was hanged on his own gallows. God preserved the Jewish people. Herod, we read this in Matthew. He wanted every male baby under two killed in Bethlehem. What happened? God spared. Spared Jesus Christ, his own son, the baby. Satan tempted Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple in Luke chapter 4. We just looked at that in the ESL a couple of weeks ago. What happened? Jesus answered with the word of God. Satan was defeated once again. When Jesus announced that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy in 
Isaiah uh, 61, he announced this to the temple. All the people in the synagogue they, in, in, at Nazareth, they, they took him and they, and they walked up a cliff and they had him in front and they pushed and pushed and pushed. They're going to throw him off a cliff. He walks through them unseen. Every time Satan tried to circumvent the plans of God. Plans of God. There's other instances. And then when throughout history, when Satan tried to destroy a people through whom he said the Messiah would come, it didn't happen. So then we read further, and I will be going quicker here, that there will be a coming one. He. Who is he? You will bruise his heel. He will crush your head. Who is he? It's the seed. Now, seed could be plural. You know, somebody comes to me and says, well, you have quite the seed there. Yes, yes, uh, look at that. I've got grass growing. Or even if they refer to seed as my family, yes, I have three children and it keeps increasing with grandchildren and so on and so on. But the word here is plural. Uh, is singular, rather. He. It's a he. An individual. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is considered by the Old Testament scholars to be the first messianic prophecy. The first gospel, they call it. The first gospel mentioned in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the first prediction that a deliverer will come and defeat the devil. Who is he? We're not told here. But who is he? You see, you have to follow history throughout the Bible. We don't know here, but after the destruction of the earth and the flood, there were three people that came out. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Israelites descended from Shem. More specifically, God made a promise to Shem and his descendants through Abraham. In chapter 12, Shem's descendants Abraham was, was Abraham, and to Abraham he made this promise. In chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through one person. One, a continuation of this seed. Then God promised Jacob, who descended from Abraham. He says, Through your seed, all the world will be blessed. And then you go through, and Jacob had a fourth from, from, from Jacob, fourth son, was a, a guy named Judah. And from Judah came David. And we read in, 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 the, uh, in the Gospels, in the genealogies, Jesus Christ, the son of David. So all through that, that's the lineage of the seed. It runs through the whole Bible from Genesis right up until Jesus Christ is born. Jesus is the he. He is the hero of redemptive history. So all of Satan's attacks that we read about, all the things that we think about of what Satan tried to do as the serpent and, and all of these other things that he stirred up, it's to stop the he. It's to go against Jesus Christ. A parallel verse to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is found in Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 4. And it says, And his tail swept... A th this is the dragon, okay, Satan, his tail swept away of the third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That's the fallen angels with him. And the dragon stood before the woman. So the dragon is Satan. We already read the verse that describes the dra dragon as being Satan, the serpent of old. Stood before the woman who was about to give birth 
so that she might give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So Satan did everything he possibly could to stop and prevent the lineage to come from Eve, through Abraham, through Jacob, through Judah, through David, and so on, all the way up to Jesus Christ. He did everything he possibly could, but he was not successful. So, when we read this, you shall bruise his heel. There's going to be a confrontation. Starts off as a conflict, but there's going to be a confrontation. Conflict is usually the start of a confrontation. I have conflict with Dan because of something he said about me on Facebook. So what happens? The conflict is already there. We haven't seen each other face to face, but the conflict is already there. But the day is coming. I'll tell you when I'm going to write that wrong and we're going to see face to face and there will be a confrontation. Why did you say that about me on Facebook? And then he says, oh, whoops. I meant to say that about Sam McDonald. <laughs> so there's going to be a confrontation. This confrontation is going to be the culmination of the ongoing conflict all the way up. This, it's just been brewing and brewing and brewing and it says, you, speaking to Satan, shall bruise his heel. Now, that's a temporary blow. I hurt my heel recently, and oh, man. So when it says you'll hurt his heel, people, I've heard people preach, say, ah, see, nothing. Satan can't do anything. No, I've struggled with plantar fasciitis at times. Have you ever had it? If you've ever had it, it's excruciating. It's painful. You get up in the morning, put your foot on the floor, and you think, why did I get up? I can't, I can't walk. This is killing me. So a bruised heel is no fun. So don't downplay this bruised heel that we're talking about here. You shall bruise his heel. That it's just going to be something like, pfft, whatever. It's excruciating. And what's it looking forward to? It's speaking of the cross. You are going to have a conflict with him, a confrontation, and he is going to be inflicted. He is going to be afflicted and inflicted. He is going to be put on a cross. He is going to be in excruciating, tormenting pain for this time. In fact, the word excruciating has its root in the word, has the word cross in the root. This is a good word, David, to use in um, ESL. Excruciating. I believe it does have the word cross as referenced in it. Crucifixion. The, they, they came up with the word excruciating, I'm sure, after somebody read an account of the, the crucifixion. Because when you have plantar fasciitis, it feels like your foot's been crucified. I mean, it is really, really painful. So what the Lord went through in this bruising of the heel is an excruciating event. But you know what? It was a temporary event. Why? Because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. There's victory in this battle. And then my final point that there will be a conquest. You might bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. Now the word bruise can also be translated as crush. Now you can crush my heel. Walk up to me, boom, crush my heel. I'm going to limp around, but I'm living. I'm, I'm carrying on. If I crush your head... You're, you've become nothing. Like you, you, you're out. You're down. You're out. 
All along, Satan and all his measures, they failed. He resorted to extreme measures. He, he incited the Jewish leaders, the mob, the Roman government, all of them to put Jesus on a cross. But you know what? There's a verse that, I, I love this verse. When I came across this verse for the first time, I was a new Christian, and I thought, wow, this is really something. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age, of this world, which would be Satan, which would be the Roman rulers, which would be the Jewish leaders, which would be the people who were leaders in that mob, none of them understood it. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, here's the thing. They put Jesus on a cross. I'm sure Satan opened up the champagne. What a celebration. We're done with him. He, that troublemaker, he's done. Look what happened. We put him on a cross. He's dead. He's in a grave. He's behind that stone. Let's party. Well, you know what? That party was over in three days because that, that corpse lying on that stone, it sat up. It stood up. It folded the cloth that was over his face. It put it in the corner that person that was there, he rose again. The door opened. The earth quaked. There was a whole lot of shaking going on. And the angels came and sat on top of the stone, and he walked out of that grave. Jesus Christ walked out of the grave. And you're all excited because nobody said amen. amen. Jesus Christ got up. He was not defeated. He did not stay in the grave. He rose again. Thank you. Now we understand. The battle is over. The conflict is finished. He is never going to die again. It's done. Satan is done. Cork the champagne. It's over. The party is over for the devil. Jesus Christ had the victory. It comes down to this confrontation and at the end of it, it's a conquest for God Almighty in His Son who rose from the dead. It's over. Satan is crushed. John chapter 12, verse 32 says, Now judgment has come upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And then in, at the end of Romans, Paul writes this about Jesus will crush Satan's authority over those who give their lives to Christ. Romans chapter 16, verse 19, if you're writing down verses or you want to turn there, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He will be crushed under your feet. He's already been crushed by the cross and the resurrection, the empty tomb. So what does that mean for us? So what about us? What about here today? If you're in Christ, Satan has no dominion over you. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, Satan has come to kill, steal, to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, or have it more abundantly. The devil has come to destroy this world, but the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. We have life in him, abundant life in him. What Satan did, the Lord Jesus came to undo. He fixed all of the ruin that was caused by the devil. And the bloodline that began with this, the first promise, the first gospel, it runs through the whole scripture, went all the way to the cross, and now it goes beyond, and it goes to you and I. 
The Bible, this William Evans says, the Bible is red with redemption truth. There used to be a little riddle we'd say when we were kids. Hey, what's black and white and red all over? He said, I don't know. It was the first joke my grandfather, I think, ever told me. I said, I don't know what. The newspaper. Well, nobody reads the newspaper anymore, so that doesn't have any relevance. But what's black and white and red all over? The Bible. The Bible is written in black and white, and it's red all the way through. R-E-D. The other one was R-E-A-D. But the line of Christ starts in Genesis, and it goes all the way through. The Lamb of God, the story of, his, of the Lamb starts in Genesis, and we'll, we'll do that the next time. We'll, we'll look specifically at, at the Lamb as our substitute, and it goes all the way through the Scriptures, right through to Revelation. It's a simple but profound truth of God's rescue mission. He's the lover of our souls. He wants to transform your life if you don't know him. The greatest verse that reflects Genesis 3.15 is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Father, thank you this morning. We have one who has rescued us. We have one who has come that dark day that we read of in Genesis when sin entered this world, when man went down that slippery slope and the enemy of our, of our souls had his way. Father, I thank you that this has all been undone by the cross of Jesus Christ. I thank you that we have a living Savior. We celebrate today. Our Savior lives. He's our rescuer. Father, we were lost, we were wandering. We did not know where we were going. But those of us who have put our trust in him, we know where we are going. We know and we look forward to that day that we are with him, but not only that, but Satan will be no more. He will be crushed under our feet. Lord, may we serve him with all our hearts. And may, as Paul said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen.